Bobby Hurley up the floor with Leitner. They throw it to the left of the floor. Leitner catches, comes down, dribbles, shoots, and welcome to another 2.1 Seconds to Madness, your college basketball podcast. Oh, haven't said that in a while. It feels nice. Uh, I'm Russell Hainline. I'm the host of 2.1 Seconds to Madness. If you are listening to us for the first time, we're jumping in point. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, for the last few years, I've run a show with my co-host, K-Bad, KB, and this year we decided to mostly go hiatus. We're going to do a few episodes. I'm really hoping that we get KB back for a pre-conference play episode where it'll be the two of us. Uh, really, really excited to that, really hoping uh, that we can make that happen. But ultimately, I mean, he works in high school football coaching. He's got signing day coming up, early signing period. I have launched a new website, and so I'm writing for that constantly in addition to just the writing that I do in L.A. in general. And we decided that this year it was just all of the planning, all of the editing, everything else, the logistics. I I tend to work in afternoons, evenings, weekends. KB has a more traditional schedule. He's on the opposite coast. So we just decided we would make it something a little more sparse this year. And truthfully, I wasn't sure how many times we would get to record, honestly, if at all. Maybe something right before the tournament, but I just wasn't sure what we'd be able to do. But I'll be damned if I can sit here and watch as much basketball as I've been watching, reading all of your terrible takes, and (laughs) not say anything about it. And there's only so much that... I can consume. Uh, I love the Three Man Weave podcast. If you don't listen to that, you should. Uh, It definitely, if you feel like there's a void that we have left, Three Man Weave will very capably fill that void. Uh, They are capable void fillers, you might say. Uh, They're also just really smart and funny and really good at what they do. They look at the numbers. They actually watch games. That was the whole reason why KB and I started this podcast in the first place. We just wanted a podcast from people that watch games, not just like, do you think that Mike Krzyzewski should have done this? Zion Williamson, Trey Young, you know, like we talk about those things too, but to a lesser degree, we want to talk about what we've seen, right? So Three Man Weave is really good. Uh, sorry, I'm clearly, I'm getting choked up. I'm just so excited to be back. Uh, here, because I'm going to be ranting a lot this episode, I'm going to crack open a beer. That was not a sound effect. That's an actual beer. Uh, it's, a, it's at the crack of two here on West Coast time. But whatever, i got to get into rant mode. Um, but Three Man Weave is really good. Ken Palm also has a really interesting podcast where, you know, it's just Ken Palm talking about basketball, which is going to be interesting. They're still sort of finding their footing in terms of being like an entertaining show, but in terms of just wanting to learn about basketball, I mean, just listening to Ken Palm speak, I think, is really enlightening. And so I wanted to start there. The whole reason I wanted to do an episode is, again, just to get some rants going. A lot of things that have been on my mind early this season, haven't been able to talk about them, I'll probably touch on some of these again with KB when we record pre-conference play, and I'll probably timestamp this episode in the notes so that if you want to skip a rant, you can. I've got a few, Uh, and I'll check in on the things that I tweeted, my preseason picks. You know, I'll talk about the net. I'll talk about all the stuff that's going on with Duke, but I'll leave that for the end because I know that the last thing a lot of you want to hear is a Duke fan talking about Duke basketball. So, by the way, for those of you who are first-time listeners, also a Duke alumni, alumnus, not alumni. Uh, I'm not just somebody who picked them up. I earned it. (laughs) So there. Uh, Usually when I tell people that I am a Duke fan, they're like, oh, what, you uh, you liked uh, this player or whatever? You like Jason Williams or whatever? I was like, I mean, I went to the school. They're like, oh, okay, I guess we'll allow that. So, anyway. Let's talk about the things that I want to rant about. Let me get this sip in. 
Oh yeah, that's probably good. Uh, it's good listening for you to listen to somebody just gargle beer. Let's talk about rankings. Let's talk about the nature of rankings because Ken Palm's podcast recently had a really, really interesting idea. I want to say it was episode six for those of you who want to give that a look. Uh, I strongly recommend it. It was basically about the notion of the weekly AP poll. And, I mean, we all know it's worthless. You know, there's there's nothing of worth that can be gleaned from the AP poll. And, in fact, KB and I have been doing our onions picks weekly. We've more or less been cheating, right? Because you can be ranked and play an unranked team-neutral court and still be the underdog because your ranking doesn't... It's not an indicator of your quality, right? And so this trend that we've seen, I mean, since forever, I guess, but Ken Palm sort of brought it to the light. I've thought about this a little bit, but never as explicitly. Why, when a team loses a game, especially a close game, to another team, even if it's a worse team, why do we immediately move that team down the rankings? I don't understand. Ask yourself that, right? If you believe... I guess there was one guy who voted for Duke number one in the AP poll, and he more or less justified it by saying he was number one. They're number one on Ken Palm. He still just thinks they're the best team, regardless of losing to Gonzaga. If he thinks they're the best team, why would he not rank them number one? Because they lost? But if Duke and Gonzaga played neutral court again tomorrow, Duke would be favored by Vegas. There's a real argument to be made that Duke is better than Gonzaga, despite the fact that they lost. There's also an argument to be made that Gonzaga is better than Duke, but regardless, why do we have to automatically bump teams that lose and automatically elevate teams that win? To me, it makes absolutely no sense. You know, just just in case people think that this is just about Duke or whatever. No, one of the most egregious things, in my opinion, UNC falling out of the top 10 after losing to Texas. Why? Why would UNC fall out of the top 10 if I think they are easily a top 10 team, I think they're probably a top 6 team. Why would I why would I rank them 11? Why would I rank them behind Michigan State? UNC is better than Michigan State. I I would be hard pressed to find anyone who's not a Michigan State fan who thinks that Michigan State is better than UNC this year. And forget yesterday's results. I also this the timing really sucks on this cuz I was going to record this yesterday before all of the games yesterday, and you'll see that a lot of the stuff that I talked about in my notes ended up sort of spinning in my direction last night. So it's going to seem like I'm really capitalizing on current events when really I just I feel this way. Regardless of the Louisville game also, if you think Michigan State is a top 10 team, I don't, but if you do, then why, if they lost to Louisville in overtime, would you drop Michigan State out of the top 10? That doesn't make any sense to me. Michigan State would be favored over Louisville again if they played again tomorrow, right? So this reactionary bullshit, in my opinion, like it's it's got to stop because it changes the way we talk about basketball in a bad way, in a, in a way that is damaging, right? Like because it makes it seem like, oh, if, if this team beats this team, well, this team's got to be better, right? Oh, this team lost two games? Knock them out of the poll. How in the world do you knock Villanova completely out of the poll after, now again, they got absolutely boat raced by Michigan, sure, and they lost to Furman, which is not a good look, right? Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to defend any of those things, and I would drop Villanova a little you know, because it does change my perception somewhat. But do I suddenly believe that Villanova is not the favorite to win the Big East? No, Seth Greenberg was on television talking about how Villanova dropping out of the top 25, they may not even make the tournament. He actually said this on television. He was like, I think they're in real jeopardy of missing the tournament. We're five games in, Seth. You big baby looking motherfucker, right? Like, how can you say that? Then they go and they beat Florida State, I forget whether it was yesterday, day before, uh, something like this. So now what? Is Villanova, oh, they're better now than they were three or four games ago? I just don't buy that. Like, your team can get beat any given day, 
right? And you can play poorly any given day. And yes, if you string together enough poor performances, it's certainly going to seem like a trend. But this early on, have the courage to stick to your convictions that you specified early in the season, right? Like if like, I thought Kentucky was the number one team coming in. We'll talk about my preseason poll in a bit. I thought Kentucky was the number one team. I had questions about Kentucky, but I thought that they had a, a ton of really high potential. I put them number one because I felt that it reflected that potential. Now, yes, I would bump them down for sure, right? But not based on just the Duke game. Based on additional games, right? Like, getting beat by a really good team can happen to anybody. You can get beat by a team that's not that good. So... I, the reactionary stuff, in my opinion, has to end, and it would make college basketball much more interesting if after Duke loses, or after UNC loses, or after Virginia ultimately loses, or Gonzaga maybe loses, right, that writers come out and say, yeah, they, the other team played a great game, but Team X is still the favorite for these reasons, Right? I think there are justifications for five or six teams as the best team in college basketball. And individual game results don't change that, in my opinion. Look at the other point that Ken Palm made that I thought was really interesting was look at the NBA. There's no AP poll for the NBA because the AP poll is stupid. <laughs> right? Like the Clippers beat the Warriors in overtime earlier this season, if I recall correctly. Now, the Clippers are having a great year. Don't get me wrong. They would rise from preseason poll lists, as they should, were there an AP poll. But do you think that like the media would genuinely feel like the Clippers are more likely to win the title than the Warriors? Like, Do we think that that's true? You know, another thing that was brought up is, like, let's say a team suffers like a serious... Uh, talent loss, like uh, somebody very important gets hurt. Let's say Michigan State, Cassius Winston tears an ACL. He's out for the year. I think it's justified right away to drop them out of the rankings entirely, to just get rid of them, <laughs> right? But what ends up happening, if you all recall, is they stay where they are until they lose, right? So like if Michigan State, if you have Michigan State ranked 10th overall and Cassius Winston goes down, Three days later, they beat, let's say they beat Rutgers. Okay, so then on the next poll, they're still the 10th best team, even though we know Cassius Winston isn't there anymore? Why? Maybe some, maybe a couple of voters would knock him down a little bit. Maybe they'd go down to 12 or whatever. But we never see writers put real strength of conviction in what they put into these rankings. It's always just like, oh, well, they lost. Let's knock them down a few. Oh, they won a big game. Let's put them in the top 25. There are people rank, trying to rank Furman. Like, don't get me wrong, Furman has two incredible wins. But really? Fer, you think Furman is better than 26 through 300 and whatever? There's no way. There's absolutely no way. So, you know, what I wanted to do next is look at the rankings where they are right now and give, you know, some of my takes regarding where they are right now. I want to start with Virginia. Virginia is the no-brainer here. They are at number four right now. Let me pull it up. Virginia's at number four. They have one vote uh, to be first overall. I think that's too low. I don't know who I would put in front of them. They were second in my preseason poll, so I don't feel any need to have them any lower than second. Uh, they've, they've given me no indication that I should drop them. Even, even though Kansas has you know one convincing games, Gonzaga obviously won a very convincing game, Am I super convinced that either of those teams is better than Virginia? I, I'm not. Maybe Gonzaga? Maybe. I, I don't know. Coin flip. But Virginia should have more than one first place overall vote. The only reason that they were not the preseason number one consensus pick was because of the UMBC game. That's it. A one-game result. People forget they were the number one overall seed last year. That they lost, what, I don't have it in front of me, but four games all year, something like this. And they bring back so much. They probably don't lose that UMBC game if they have DeAndre Hunter. You could make the argument they would have gone on a title run if they had DeAndre Hunter. They have him back, right? They've got talent. They've got great coaching. They've got a system that obviously wins games way, way, way more often than it loses games. 
And you could easily argue that Virginia had way fewer question marks than certainly Duke or Kansas, maybe fewer question marks than Gonzaga. How many times does the number one preseason team bring back, what, 60% of their... I don't have the percents in front of me. This is the problem of working on a website, is I don't get to look up these numbers beforehand. They brought back a lot of scoring, is my point. A lot of minutes. A ton of minutes. They lost Hall, they lost Wilkins, but they bring back, I think, everyone else. Those aren't insubstantial, but Jesus Christ, how are you only giving Virginia one number one vote? How are they all the way down at number four? I don't understand that. Uh, UNC is too low. 11? 11? Do we think UNC, I'm going to get I'm gonna get in trouble with a certain listener for this. Do we think UNC today is uh, worse than Kentucky, which is ranked number 10? Now, again, I would still have Kentucky ranked in my top 10. I think 10 is appropriate, maybe maybe 9, right? I think right around there would be appropriate for them, and they still have a, a significant amount of upside. But UNC, again, had a very good team last year. They've shown already this year that Kobe White, as I anticipated, is more than capable of filling into Joel Berry's shoes. Uh, guys like Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams, easily filling in the Theo Pinson gap. They'll probably play some small ball, you know, once in his ear a little. They, they haven't even gotten as much from Little yet as people sort of thought. I think people thought they, he would come in and be this, like, Zion or RJ-level talent for UNC. Roy brought him off the bench at the beginning. <laughs> Classic Roy. Right, but like you got a Hall of Fame coach, you've got a ton of talent coming back. You've got two immensely talented freshmen. How do you have them at number eleven? You could make the argument that they're top five. You know, uh, I probably would make that argument, frankly. So, uh, yeah, just because they lost to Texas, look, Duke almost lost to Kerwin Roach last year. I was at that game. Right, Kerwin Roach could happen to anybody. That dude lives for the big moment. He's terrific. Right, But UNC is still really terrific, and there's no reason to reactionary knock them down. I think that's ridiculous. Michigan State is too high. Before the Louisville game, I thought they were too high. Right? Um, who's their best player? That's my real question. I mean, uh, Dan Dockich kept insisting that Josh Langford was a first-team All-American because... I guess to Dan Dockich, Big Ten is the only conference in the world. Uh, <laughs> and even then, he's like maybe first team so far. I don't know, you know. Um, Cassius Winston, I question his ability to create his own shot, right? Langford started doing a little – we saw a little bit of that against Louisville. Um, but again, he's more effective catching and shooting from what I've seen. Nick Ward – is good down low. Certainly he's great at, at drawing fouls, uh, good on the offensive glass, right? Puts up, uh, takes good shots. But, you know, I also don't love the fact that he's sort of a black hole down there. He doesn't really pass out of the post ever. And again, if you're if you're saying that the best player is Nick Ward, I think in today's basketball climate, that's a bad thing. Right, having a guy who is so limited offensively being your top guy is bad. So I don't know what to make of them. Again, maybe I'd put them in the top 15, top 20, but I'm just not in love with the talent that they have. Beating UCLA does not impress me for reasons we'll talk about later. Texas, again, I'll bring up Texas in a bit, but like there's nothing so impressive on their resume other than uh, sort of the fight back that they gave Kansas. That's honestly more impressive than anything they did on the court in a win to me, personally. And even then, it was because they dug themselves out of a hole uh, into a hole and they had nothing to lose in the second half. So, I don't know. Michigan State, to me, is, you know, at, uh, at best top three in the Big Ten. I think I'd put them third right now. But... Yeah, certainly. What are they ranked right now? What what was I just saying? Top ten? They're ranked number nine. They're ranked ahead of UNC. Are you kidding me? I don't know. I'm gonna hear from Michigan State fans about this, I guess. But you know, I'm I'm not a believer in this team at all. Uh, not not in terms of being a title contender, which is what I would think a top ten team should be. Uh, Virginia Tech, even before 
uh, even before yesterday's results. I think it was yesterday's results. Yeah, Penn State. Um, they're they're too high. They're too high. Uh, once you lose Chris Clark, I just feel like he's such an important part of that team. Now, granted, they, they've still got a ton of talent, and you know they're going to shoot their way into beating teams that uh, are better than them. Right, they beat Purdue neutral court. That's not nothing, but again, that's one game. You know, I, I just haven't seen enough without Chris Clark to make me think that this team will be good without them going forward. Now, if he comes back, I would adjust. Then I'd say they're appropriately ranked. But without them, I, I don't think they're a top twenty team, and I don't think you should think that either. Uh, <laughs> uh, Iowa, too high. What what are people smoking right now? I need a drink of beer after I saw that Iowa was ranked 14th. Give me a second. Mm, mm. Oh, sweet, sweet beer. What is going on? Okay, they beat Oregon neutral court. We'll talk about Oregon in a second. They beat Connecticut. Okay, yawn. Who cares, really? And then, you know, again, I was going to go on this Iowa rant before yesterday, and I think I, I teased on one of the message boards I go to that I thought that Pittsburgh might be a little feisty with Iowa. I was mostly joking because Pittsburgh is terrible. Pittsburgh almost beats Iowa at home. They came within punching distance of beating Iowa at Iowa. I mean, that just goes to show you a lot. Now, again, that's just one game, so maybe I shouldn't overreact to that. But... I just I have seen nothing to make me believe that Iowa is different than any other Iowa team, right? Anytime a, a guy in the media wants to cite Iowa as the second coming of Fran, this is the year Fran McCaffrey does the thing. Anytime that happens, it just uh, it, it always ends the same, right? Like their defense tends to not be very good. Uh, they have pretty good offense. Uh, what they'll go, I don't know. It, 500 in the Big Ten, maybe in a best-case scenario, a pinch above that. 14th? Word? Like, I, I wouldn't put them above... Who are they above right now? They're above Florida State, wouldn't have that. Ohio State, definitely wouldn't have that. Purdue, wouldn't have that. Uh, Texas Tech, I would definitely have Texas Tech above Iowa. I'd have Wisconsin above Iowa. I'd have Wisconsin easily above Iowa. Villanova, easily above Iowa to me. So many teams that I think if you just watch the games, uh, you would be able to tell that they're better than Iowa. Iowa is a feisty team. I like Tyler Cook. I like some of the supporting pieces they've got to be a middle-of-the-pack, sort of like 8-10 to 10 seed in the tournament maybe, somewhere in there, right? But 14? So then you had on TV last night the hilarious image of the 14th-ranked team struggling at home against Pittsburgh! <laughs> ridiculous uh texas is too high uh, somewhat for the same reasons as uh iowa right they beat unc bring them up the polls they also beat arkansas in a, in a great game i watched that game right uh but i just think they're more like a fringe top 25 team they can't shoot they take a ton of threes, and they can't shoot. So they're going to win games when the threes are falling, and I guarantee Texas is going to lose an absolutely colossally embarrassing game at some point this year. There's just there's no way around that, right? Like, they've got pieces that are developing, but, like, oh, Texas at 17. Again, I like Texas Tech more than I like Texas at this point, probably. Um... I don't know. Maybe that's a, maybe that's more of a coin flip than I'm giving them credit for. But I just I've not seen anything that makes me super believe in Texas. No, I would definitely think that Texas Tech would be favored over Texas neutral court, without question. I take that back. So yeah, um, Texas too high. Don't rank a team just because they beat a good team, right? Unless you think that they belong there. But I don't think they belong that high. Oregon. Let's talk about Oregon for a second. Right now, they just lost to somebody terrible. Who'd they lose to? <laughs> Texas Southern. <laughs> oh no, the old the old swack home loss. You know, first Baylor and now Oregon. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, I I don't know what to think about Oregon. Uh, KB 
uh, tweeted very humorously that Bull Bull is going to be appointment television for like a variety of reasons. Okay, because when he's on, like he was against Syracuse, when he's like hitting things, oh my gosh, like he's he's untouchable, right? Because he's got insanely soft hands. Uh, he can finish around the rim. He can also like do mid range. I think he's shooting on limited attempts like over fifty percent from three. And on defense, this is where, like, the really interesting stuff comes into play with this team, right? Because on defense, if somebody's trying to shoot a jumper over Bull Bull, you can't. No, not well. But, like, how many times did we see it in especially, like, the Iowa game? I didn't even see the Texas Southern game. But in the Iowa game, like, Altman had to take Bull Bull out of the game because Iowa, Iowa was torching him on defense, right? Like... Bull Bull is still so raw that, like, offensively, yes, he's he's got a lot there. But like, he's like I, I say I've said in past years about talented players like Bull Bull, but it, it especially pl- plays for him here. He's like a baby giraffe, like learning to walk. You've seen this on Planet Earth, right? Where like you'll see him do something and it'll capture like the beauty and grace of like what this could be. <laughs> and then on the next play, he'll just be like moving sideways and he'll like stumble, <laughs> you know, like, or, you know, he'll just be playing basic defense and then some super like slow footed guy will just waltz right past him. So that's a problem for them defensively, obviously. And then offensively, the problem has been, I think, you know, Pritchard has been very up and down. Uh, you know, I know Kenny Wooten. I think I read that he got hurt in the Texas Southern game, which obviously would play a role because he's one of their better players. But there's just not a lot sexy there until until King comes around. So until King comes around, I'm not convinced this should be a ranked team. They can be the favorite to win the Pac-12 and still not be worthy of a ranking. Um, yeah, that's what I think. They're Villanova, too low. How do you rank Villanova outside of the top 25 based on everything? Now, granted, again, I had them seventh preseason. I would put them more in like the 15-ish range after those couple of games. Again, I'd knock them, but I'm not like the the reaction of them losing to a team like Furman is like, oh, if they lost to Furman, then they'll lose to anybody. It's like, well, so could anyone, you know? Um, I think that Villanova is fine. As the FSU game, again, whenever it happened, obviously presented. Because FSU is quite good, and Villanova beat them, uh, and it wasn't, it didn't seem fluky, right? So, I think they're going to be fine, especially as the young guys come together. But they're, like, again, example number one of, like, you can't just, like, because a team lost twice, immediately assume that everything that you felt you knew about them going into the season is thrown out the window. I, I, I just I think that that's ridiculous. And then Wisconsin's too low. I talked about uh, Wisconsin a lot on Twitter. Uh, I think I got some pushback for saying Ethan Happ could genuinely push Carson Edwards for uh, Big Ten Player of the Year. Ethan Happ could, if he keeps playing like this, push for National Player of the Year. Uh, he's been exceptionally good. And Wisconsin, much like Iowa State, if you see a team where they've got a lot of talent, but the talent is hurt, and so they go through like a bad season, I feel like next year, because so many media members, I guess, don't really understand or contextualize the record from the year before as like a result of a ton of young players who were going to be important getting hurt, then they just assume that they're going to be bad. Right, like Wisconsin was number two in the Big Ten in my preseason poll behind Michigan. Uh, I think Wisconsin has a good coach. I think they have a ton of talent. They've got a Player of the Year contender, or at least you know an All American contender. Uh, they've got Brad Davison, who we'll talk about more later. Uh, Iverson, uh, uh, Trice has played really well. Uh, they've just got so much going their way, and they're well coached, and they've got a good system. So. I don't know how you can take that reliability and put somebody like Oregon over them just because Bull Bull is fun to watch. Like I think Bull Bull versus Ethan Happ in the college game, you take Ethan Happ, and certainly every player beneath that, as long as King is still out, you take Wisconsin's player going down the bench, ranking them side by side over the Oregon player. So, you know, but Oregon beat Connecticut. Whatever. Um... Iowa State uh, is really good, and they received fewer top 25 votes than UCLA. 
anyone who has seen UCLA play this year knows, like, a hot start to the UNC game notwithstanding. UNC, uh, UCLA is not a good team. I don't think that they are a good team. They have had a lot of injury problems. You, your heart goes out to them, you know, for that. But, like, outside of Chris Wilkes, I don't trust anyone on that team. Moses Brown looked really good against the Cupcakes and did not look very good against the non-Cupcakes. Uh, Jalen Hands has flashes of brilliance, and then he has flashes where you're sitting there thinking, like, dude, you're not Steph Curry. What are you doing? You know, um, I think it would be best for UCLA if they if their record reflected the fact that they're not very good, and then they actually fired Steve Alford and then made a push for, like, I bet they probably fire Fred Hoiberg from the Chicago Bulls, make a push for him maybe, make a push for Nate Oates. You know, like, but the longer you ride the Steve Alford experiment out, like, the writing is on the wall. Anytime that, like, a coach is, like, a good recruiter but is not getting the results that the recruiting class should, that... When when has that turned around? You know what I mean? Like, people waited around on Johnny Jones at LSU for a long time. People waited around on Romar at Washington for a long time. You know, uh, people, they're still waiting on Danny Manning at Wake Forest. I don't know what um, you have to do if you're Steve Alford, how he still has that job. I mean except for the fact that I just named Jones, Romar, and Manning, who all have something in common that Steve Alford does not, maybe that plays a role as to why Steve Alford still has a job and uh, two of the three other guys do not. Um, but yeah, recruiting's not enough when, when clearly you're not the coach of the future, especially when you're at a blue blood like UCLA. They should not be getting more votes than Iowa State. That's ridiculous. And then finally, Furman received more votes than LSU. LSU lost neutral court to a very good FSU team. They lost to a dangerous Oklahoma State team, also neutral court. Uh, again, maybe I'd, I'd defer to the three-man weave guys about this because they're better at putting together spreads than I am, generally speaking. But i got to think if LSU and Furman played neutral court, LSU would be favored by, at minimum, like eight points. You know, by, by a sizable portion. Furman, I don't even think is top 100 in Ken Palm. I'd be surprised. Now they have two really good wins, but you can't overreact to small sample size compared to what you know going into the season. I don't think Furman is even expected to win their conference in a one-bid league. How do, how are you even voting for them in the top 25? So anyway, this concludes that portion of my ranting today is, you know, I, I strongly encourage, if you're putting rankings on Twitter, don't go by wins and losses, right? Go by what you're watching. Go by your eyes. Don't go by small sample size. Go by what you know the team is capable of night in and night out. Do you think they will win far more often? Do you think the losses are anomalous? Do you think that the wins of certain teams are anomalous and you think that they are not as good as maybe they seemed on one given night? Adjust a little bit, just don't overreact. And again, I strongly recommend everybody listen to that Ken Palm uh, episode six in which he talks about this because I think it's a really interesting thought uh, about how the AP poll should operate. Uh, speaking of things in the media, I wanted to talk about the net just briefly. Uh, anybody who is following college basketball knows that the net is replacing the RPI. It's the new system that they will lean on when determining the brackets for March Madness. Uh, my hot take is that I don't care, and if you care a lot about these early results, then uh, you are not being smart. Like, uh, it seems to me the big complaint that I'm seeing everybody say is that it's not favoring strength of schedule. So then weak strength of schedule, but good results, is resulting in a higher net. You know who that benefits mid-major teams. Do you know who the NCAA is never going to allow in a billion years to take over March Madness? Mid-major teams. There's no way that they're going to include, let's say Syracuse is middle of the pack like they always are this year, and Furman is, you know, uh, on the precipice or whatever. They're not going to put in Furman and leave out Syracuse. They won't do it. Zero percent chance that they do it. So, I don't really care what the early results are because I know what NCAA's bottom line is, which is get the teams that are big draws from the high major programs into the tournament. So if 
we're looking at these results and thinking that it it's wildly skewed because strength of schedule isn't factored in, then we're not looking at it right or, and I wouldn't put this past in the NCAA, they're going to continue to tinker, <laughs> right? It's like one of those two things because Loyola Marymount's not making the tournament. I, don't, I, I guarantee when you look at the net rankings in January, Loyola Marymount isn't sniffing tournament ranking, okay? Now, why did they release it this early, I guess, is the other question. Probably to get people talking, maybe to market test it in public so that then they sort of figure out how they can adjust it if they want to adjust it. Um, maybe they won't adjust it because, I mean, people would obviously notice. Um, but then again, these are the same people who use the RPI for decades. So, like, why are we trusting them to make good decisions regardless? The net could end up being bad, but I just know the NCAA and I know that they are not going to do anything that would give mid-majors even the slightest hair of advantage. I wanted to check on my preseason picks. Uh, my top 10 preseason Kentucky, again, I'd bump them down to maybe like 10-ish, 12, somewhere in there right now. Virginia uh, at number two, they still look great. Duke, Gonzaga, UNC, Kansas is three through six. Again, I, I think that's your top Five, maybe, with Tennessee, who I have ranked eighth. Uh, I think that's your top six, pretty unimpeachably, in my opinion. Uh, Villanova, I had ranked seventh. Again, maybe I'd put them in the high teens, or the low teens? Which one is it? Like 13, 14, somewhere there. I don't know whether that'd be the low or the high teens. For this case, higher ranked. Maybe it's lower teens, though. Uh, Nevada, I had number nine, and then I said at number ten, who cares? <laughs> which I still think is appropriate. Uh, I would probably say Auburn is the other team, or maybe Michigan. Michigan definitely merits uh, title contender consideration based on not just how they've played, but like I didn't know enough about the freshmen coming in, uh, like their big man. I assumed that they were really going to miss Mo, and they don't really. So, uh, yeah, that plays a big role. Now that I've seen them play a couple of times, I can make an informed decision and put them ranked uh, according to what I've seen with my eyes. Not the win-loss factor. Yeah, I mean, that helps, but yeah. Go with what you see, people. That's important. Uh, my preseason All-Americans, I had first team R.J. Barrett, Carson Edwards, Rui Hachimura, Luke May, Grant Williams. I, uh, You know, I guess one could argue, we'll talk about Duke later, but you could argue maybe switching Barrett and Williamson. Certainly you could argue, I had Ethan Happ third team. You could argue putting him up there. Uh, guys who I have on my third team, like Caleb Martin, DeAndre Hunter, they certainly merit consideration. Uh, but overall, I, I still like my first team. Second team, I had Tyus Battle, Dedrick Lawson, Tremont Waters, Zion Williamson, and a Kentucky player, which cracked up KB. Uh, again, I'd probably go maybe Keldon Johnson. Uh, yeah, uh, there's arguments to be made that some of them should be bumped a little bit up or down, but again, I I don't have any strong feelings one way or another. Ethan Happ, DeAndre Hunter, Caleb Martin, Eric Paschal, Shamori Pons as the third team. Paschal definitely struggled more than I expected uh, so far this season. That having been said, I still have a lot of faith in him long-term, and I don't really feel the need to drastically alter that. My other guys were Kyle Guy, Marcus Howard, Sag Kanate, Little, Dean Wade, you know, stuff like that. Again, they're all going to be on the cusp, but I have no reason to doubt any of my choices so far. My ACC preseason, I said number one UNC, two UVA, three Duke, four Clemson. Now, I had Duke lower here, but UNC uh, lower in the overall poll because uh, UNC's schedule is incredibly favorable in the ACC. Uh, this isn't even an insult to UNC. They're still going to be really good. But out of the top six projected teams in the ACC, UNC has one home and away, one just away, and four just home, whereas Duke has three home and aways, two just away, and one just home. I mean, you can't act like that doesn't play a huge role. And Virginia has uh, relatively similar to Duke. Uh, UVA has two home and aways, three just away, one just home. So again, UNC has undeniably a favorable ACC schedule, and because all three of them are, in my opinion, top five worthy, I'm going to pick UNC to win the ACC. I don't know that I'd pick Clemson uh, at number four anymore. Again, I like what I've seen from FSU, who I would have had at number five. Um, actually, I would have had Virginia Tech at number five. 
Uh, no, as I said in my tweet, I would have had Virginia Tech number four if Chris Clark, Chris Clark was playing. So without them, I would have had them at like number six. Um, I might bump Clemson down. Don't don't love what I've seen so far this season. Uh, but again, that's like the next tier for me: Clemson, FSU, Virginia Tech, NC State. Uh, I'd player of the year R.J. Barrett. I don't really have a beef with that. Brad Brownell as coach of the year. I think they would have to finish fourth in order for him to win. Big 12, I had Kansas, uh, West Virginia, Kansas State, and Texas Tech as my top four. And I wrote I was insanely tempted to put Iowa State in the four spot. Uh, but Chris Beard is very good. I, I still stick with all of that for now. Uh, Dedrick Lawson, I said, for player of the year, but I was tempted to pick Kanate. I'm still good with that. Steve Prohm is my coach of the year. Definitely love that pick right now. Big 10, I said gun to head, give me Michigan uh, at number one, but I thought my top four would be Michigan, Wisconsin, MSU, Indiana. Uh, I'm a little lower on Indiana than most. Uh, I know Langford was good early, but I don't – He's he, he seems to exhibit a lot of the things that people are criticizing R.J. Barrett for. Like, uh, he definitely is very ISO-heavy, high volume, uh, but lower assist rate than Barrett, high, way higher turnover rate than Barrett. Um, or at least it was when I looked at these numbers. It might be different from last night, but uh, be that as it may – uh, yeah, I might change that one to somebody else. I, I, I don't care enough right now to consider it. Player of the year, I said Edwards, but Hap is a real contender. I still like that. Coach of the year, Greg Gard, loving that pick right now. SEC, I said Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, and Florida in that order. Uh, I probably should have picked LSU fourth. Uh, I, there's still a good chance Florida ends up fourth, and I regret that. But I think Florida LSU is very coin flippy, and I, I just love what I've seen from LSU's y- young players so far. Uh, really, really love what I've seen from them. I know they've struggled to finish a couple of games. I, I don't really care. I think long term, by the especially by the back half of SEC play, they're going to be super dangerous. I said player of the year, Grant Williams is the favorite, but don't count out. Insert Kentucky breakout player here. Uh, I still like that. Coach of the year, Mike White. I mean, if if LSU finishes top four, then it'll be Will Wade. Big East, I said number one, Villanova. Two through four, who cares that I'd go Marquette second, Butler third, Providence fourth. I just I can't be bothered to come up with a strong take about the Big East right now. I have not loved what I've seen from the Big East so far. Uh, I still think Villanova's head and shoulders above the rest in terms of just my ability to trust them. Uh, Player of the year, I said Eric Pascal, Marcus Howard would make a real push. I'd probably switch that now. Uh, Coach of the year, I said whoever comes in second, that coach. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I sort of like uh, Jordan at Butler. And honestly, I think I underrated Kamar Baldwin's chances of winning player of the year as well. Pac-12, I said number one, Oregon two, Washington, three, uh, Arizona, ASU, USC. Christ, this conference is a dumpster fire. I stand by all of that. I said player of the year, someone from an NIT team probably. It could be Bull Bull. I guess I overreacted a little bit. I think it'll be somebody uh, from someone like, you know, USC, uh, maybe like Porter, like Colorado's guy. Um, I just, I, I don't know. Uh, Coach of the year, I wrote not Steve Alford. I feel very strongly about that. Um, yeah, those are my preseason picks. I still like most everything that I said there. Uh, I don't really have much to change. All right, two last rants here. Uh, my second to last rant is going to be about charges because everybody loves to hear uh, what a Duke fan has to say about charges. He said as he took a gulp of beer. Uh, so there's a video going around of Brad Davison taking a bunch of charges in the NC State game, including the charge that ultimately like was like the game deciding play for the most part. I, and a lot of people are like, Oh, he's flopping. He's flopper. You know, he's the new flopper, whatever. I watched that. Now don't get me wrong. I'm confident that Brad Davison is going to lay down some exceptional flops this year. (laughs) I'm not going to dispute that. I love how much, uh, this kid is already getting hate. I, Knew that it was going to go well this season when he did the uh, Makura chomp against Xavier uh, just right in their faces. I died laughing watching that game, and I was like, oh, boy, this is like this is like Grayson Allen, Marshall Henderson level, J.P. Makura level. You know, like people are going to hate this kid, and I think college basketball is a lot better when somebody is hateable like this. I don't think the refs can win, though. When it comes to this sort of thing, because when I watched that video, three of the four charges called in the video 
were to me obvious charges. It, because if you're the offensive player and you extend your forearm or you lower your shoulder into the torso of the guy defending you and the guy defending you is moving his feet capably, staying in front of you, keeping legal guarding position, he doesn't need to have his feet holding still. Like there's some article from, I don't know, Bleacher Report or somewhere terrible where they were deriding the fact that his feet were moving. You can draw an offensive foul while your feet are moving because legal position defensively doesn't require you stand still. I can't believe so many people don't understand that. But leaving that aside, I don't think the refs can win because, you know, what do we see in response to the Brad Davison thing? Oh, you know, these flop, these floppers, they need to stand up straight and they need to make tough, physical, defensive plays. Okay, let's say that that's true. Then a foul is called on you. What are the fans going to say? Oh, come on, refs. Let them play physical, right? Let them play. You hear that all the time, especially on like the the broadcast when like a lot of fouls are being called, usually because they're earned, sometimes when they're not. People yell, let them play. Okay, when you let them play, then it's a very physical game. It ends up with like a 50 to 45 final score. What do the fans say then? Where's the offense? <laughs> right? Like they need offense for the game to be attractive because nobody, like no offense Virginia fans, Nobody other than Virginia fans want to watch Virginia basketball. It's true. Nobody wants to watch that. So in order to have a product that is competitive on, you know, the national spectrum, which, you know, let's also be honest, the tip-off marathon was canceled because regular season ratings of college basketball games are so much lower than even, like, a nothing NBA game, right? The ratings are so much lower. And a lot of that is because of this perception that offense sucks, uh, it's all just like rock fights, right? Uh, that it's messy, right? And there's like some merit to that with some teams, but like the NCAA is clearly incentivized to create freedom of movement, to let offensive players play, right? But that also means letting defensive players defend to some extent as well, right? That balance keeps it from being just offensive players drive into a guy, foul is called. Offensive player drives into a guy, foul is called. Because the NCAA doesn't really want that either. They want the defender moving and the offensive player moving simultaneously in hopes that there's some balance there and hopefully uh, you know, it won't result in a massive foul fest. And sometimes it does. Right? But like if Brad Davison is defending and the NC State player puts his forearm out or lowers his shoulder into Davison's chest and Davison falls over, what is the referee supposed to do exactly? Just let them play? But, like, an NC State, if, like, Torin Dorn, I don't know how much he weighs. Let's say he weighs, like, a buck ninety two hundred, right? I might even be underselling that, potentially. But I'm going to look it up right now while I'm talking. What what are you supposed to do when he puts his shoulder into your chest? Right? Torin Dorn, 210 on Ken Palm. I got news for you. If a guy that's 210, you're at the Y, and a guy that's 210 lowers his shoulder and goes into you, you're going to fly, man. <laughs> that's just, that's that's physics. So, yeah, flopping is a problem, but just because someone falls over and takes a charge does not make it a flop, especially if it's somebody that was doing what Davison is doing, which is moving his feet, keeping it in proper defensive position, right? I have way more of a problem with when people just like stand there and wait for the guy to plow into him. But with the exception of one of the Davison charges, uh, that wasn't the case. He was just defending and the other guy screwed up, right? Um, so just think about that before you lament, you know, all charging is flopping and whatever. You know, go go play at the Y and let a guy who's 205 pounds put his forearm into your chest and see what happens to you. And then the final thing I wanted to talk about today, and this is where people who don't want to hear about Duke uh, can turn this off, but uh, there's definitely going to be some angry stuff in there, so maybe if you don't like Duke fans, then you'll really like this. Um, so Coach K said after the Indiana game, he basically talked about Duke fans being spoiled uh, because they were going after R.J. Barrett because he drove into traffic on multiple possessions at the end of the Gonzaga game questionably was fouled, but you can't count on that, right? Learning experience. Any sane fan watches that and thinks, you know, he's got to learn to pass. He's got to learn to look for his guy. It happens, right? You lost by two to maybe the best team in the country on a neutral court. 
life goes on, right? Um, especially places like the Devil's Den and like 247 and like, you know, Duke's student newspaper, The Chronicle. I, I've just seen such vitriol from these bloggers, right? Like, and not even like vitriol, just like snark, just empty snark. Like, at Devil's Den, like, I saw, like, Chris Bunn and Adam Rowe on Twitter, you know, talking about, like, the best lineup is four freshmen and Jack White, and then, like, Rowe responded going, like, but Joey Baker, the freshman, is redshirting, so who's the fourth freshman, wink, wink? And Chris Bunn was like, I see you, LOL. Clearly insinuating, jokey joke, that the team is better when R.J. Barrett is not on the court. Like... God, I need another... Hold on. I need a sip of beer for this, guys. Oh, let me take one more. Oh, boy. Um, Where to begin about this? You've got the number one recruit on your team. And he played brilliantly against Kentucky. Uh, has occasionally had some blinders on uh, when driving to the paint. You know who else has had that? Zion. You know who else has had that? Cam Reddish. You know who else has that? 95% of freshmen who are used to dominating their high schools who now are just having to learn the hard way that college is harder and they can't bully their way to the rim consistently every single time. They can still do pretty well. Lord knows Zion does quite well. But he's also gotten himself into trouble a number of times. So this happened at the end of a game. But I don't think because it happened at the end of the game, that's any different. Like, the whole team was bad for the first half. It's not Barrett's fault that the that Duke lost that game. Duke lost that game because they were down by, like, what, 12 or something at the half. You know, they, they had an abysmal first half uh, combined with the fact that Gonzaga made literally every shot. The contested ones, the open ones, all of them. Duke missed a bunch of open layups, uh, missed two dunks, right? That's the game, those two dunks. So, I mean, there's blame to go around in a big, big way. But everyone online was blaming Barrett. And included, like, I saw people were, like, leaving comments on his Instagram and things. Now, granted, there's assholes in every fan base. But this really reminded me of last year, you know, Trayvon Duvall, after the UNC game, tweeted out, a dunk he had, and it was a loss, but he had a great dunk, and he retweeted right after the game, like in the locker room, uh, him dunking. And I don't know that in my uh, years and years and years of being a Duke fan at this point, I don't know if I've ever seen fans be so vitriolic towards a player over something that was a young, dumb mistake. He deleted it almost immediately, the damage was done, right? And to this day, you see, like, Trayvon Duvall tweet things, and Duke fans will read into it that it's, like, about Duke, and then they'll leave nasty comments. Like, that's just, it's so toxic and so awful. And if Duke fans are doing this, it's going to have a bad impact, right? It's going to uh, absolutely affect uh, recruiting, I would think. Right, like Kay came out and made a public statement to fans because I think he understands from last year that these players are all on social media. They they can't. They're human. If you have a billion people shitting on you on social media, it is human to feel shitty about that. Like you can't not feel bad about it. If you don't feel bad about it, billions of people shitting on you online then you're a sociopath or you're Dan Dockich or you're both. <laughs> so, you know, I just don't really know what the solution is other than telling Duke fans to not be assholes and to tell the bloggers that are supposed to be like the place where Duke fans go for information. We lost. Why did we lose? You know, if if they see those people in the message boards and on Twitter being shitty about a kid who turned 18 five months ago, they are going to be shitty about that player, and they're going to exponentially increase that shittiness. Like, there's a writer for the Chronicle, Ben Leonard, who is also a college kid, so I want to cut him a little bit of slack to some extent, but he's written multiple articles. Like, he, he did one before this season, basically, like, shitting on Bolden in a big way, 
um, that Bolden was going to cost Duke the title this year, which is bad writing in general because it makes no sense. But Marquise is on campus. He's going to see the Chronicle. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to know that everyone in his class has read that article. Like, do you not have the decency to come up with criticism that isn't shitty and that isn't generating, like, hot take clicks? Because I really do feel like some of these Duke outlets are doing that right now because Duke is, like, number one in SEO for, like, all college basketball stuff. Right, like Zion Williamson, that's a reason Zion Williamson is brought up in every single article, regardless of whether Duke is playing, uh, the game being talked about. There's all these posts on Reddit about like little uh, Zion commentary during games that have nothing to do with Zion, and it's because they know that Zion's going to generate clicks. Duke generates clicks, right? So they're going to do that, and maybe it's just too much of me to want people to do even-handed criticism. Right, and to then not be shitty and have an obvious public agenda on Twitter. Because, like, if you come out and you say, here is the good and bad of RJ Barrett in an article, but then on Twitter, you're just talking about how shitty RJ Barrett is constantly, then that removes the veil of impartiality from you, right? Like, that doesn't work. And your readers aren't stupid. You know, they see that, they understand that, and then they feel like that's acceptable behavior. And what really blows my mind is a lot of the complaints that people have about R.J. Barrett should be going, well, no, they shouldn't be. Let me rephrase. The complaints are more valid about Cam Reddish than they are about R.J. Barrett. Cam Reddish uh, has been abysmal at the rim. He has a worse shooting percentage. Despite the fact that he is shooting like 43% from three, he's shooting, I think, 40% or sub 40% from the field. If I recall correctly, I don't have those numbers in front of me. Don't hold me to that. But he's shooting worse than Barrett, is my point. Uh, he has a much lower assist rate and a much higher turnover rate. Uh, much might be a, a stretch, but definitely lower and higher. Right? Everyone says, oh, R.J. Barrett, he's a, he's a black hole. He just drives in. He's not looking to pass. Barrett has a, a higher assist rate and a lower turnover rate. And that also checks out with the games. When you watch the games, if Cam drives in, he has a very, very low success rate with those drives. At this point, very early on in the season, he will obviously get better at it, um, and I have faith that he will, but like at this point, the best value he provides is to be on the outside, to catch passes, to take open shots. And yet, the vitriol is aimed at Barrett because of like a series of three or four individual plays. Forgetting the fact that Cam Reddish was on the bench the entire time that Duke was resurging back into that Gonzaga game. So, like, why? <laughs> I, I get that it's because Barrett was number one recruit, but Cam was number three. Any team in the country, Cam Reddish is the guy other than Duke. Duke is the only team in the country where Cam Reddish is not the guy from day one. So, you know, be consistent. I don't know. Like, I read a, an abysmal Bleacher Report article giving grades to the rookie, uh, to the freshman early on, which already is an awful, awful idea for an article. They gave Cam Reddish a B plus and they gave R.J. Barrett a D. How do you justify that? Unless the only basketball you watched was the last five minutes of the Gonzaga game and you didn't watch the Kentucky game and you read box scores for everything else. Like, I just don't understand how you reach that conclusion. There's just bad journalism about Duke because they're so SEO friendly. That means every terrible writer in the country is going to be writing awful, hot Duke takes because that's what generates clicks. That's what generates revenue. So, I side with Coach K, obviously, and for those of you that didn't read the athletic piece, R.J. Barrett, after the game, texted all of his teammates individually apologizing for not looking to pass, right, for, for plowing in. And, like, maybe this is a hot take from me, but I have no problem with a guy who, you know, you could argue is Duke's best player. Zion has been their best player. But you could argue that R.J. Barrett can be their best player. I have no problem with him taking that ball, going in, you know, maybe I do I have a problem with him doing it three or four times in a row? Sure. 
but I understand, and it's early, and it's growing pains, and it happens to every underclassman. It happens to sophomores. I just don't understand why, like, Kentucky fans and UNC fans, oh, and Syracuse fans, oh, my God, they're awful, and Duke fans, like, I just – I. The social media fandom is so, so toxic and awful and terrible. And I would just, like, urge people to consider that before they tweet. Uh, even if you're not tagging the person, just think about what that encourages other people to do. Like, if you're a fan of that team, maybe don't say that you want somebody to, like, jump off a building. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a wild take on my part. But anyway, and and – Fuck any blogger who is who is helping make that a reality, right? Like, that does matter. What you say matters, especially when they're looking to you for good, impartial criticism, right? Another reason why I love the Three Man Weave podcast, if they're still listening to this, um, if they're listening to this at all. What's up, guys? Um, they're really good about mostly – as, as impartial as one can be, impartial basketball commentary based on analysis and watching games. We need more of that desperately. And that's why I wanted to record, honestly, because like that's why we started this podcast. And I'm sad that we're not going to be able to do it consistently this year. Uh, but I want to at least be, hopefully, a voice of somewhat sanity this year, even even as I get enraged. And, you know, to the people who do good work, to Three Men Weave, to Ken Palm, to uh, I love John Gassaway's writing, you know, uh, there are others that I'm sure I'm forgetting. But, yeah, keep doing the actual good work because, God, you are needed more than ever. Um, quick takes on uh, today's games. UNC, Michigan, at Ann Arbor. Uh, Ken Palm has Michigan favored by two. I had UNC favored preseason. I feel like I need to stick with that. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see. If Xavier Simpson can stop Kobe White, then UNC might have real problems running their offense. Uh, and that's a very, very real possibility because Simpson might be the best perimeter defender in the country. So I'm still going to pick UNC, especially if Michigan is favored and I was betting, I would pick UNC to cover without question. Um, that's going to be a great game. Purdue at Florida State. I like Florida State. Uh, too much length. Uh, I think they can give Carson Edwards some trouble. Uh, Virginia at Maryland. Uh, Ken Palm has Virginia favored by three. Uh, I think that that's low. I would take Virginia to cover. I don't believe in Maryland. I don't believe in Mark Turgeon. I don't think that they've got it. Uh, Syracuse at Ohio State. Uh, at Ohio State means that it's pretty interesting. They've been shooting the ball really well so far this season. Uh, almost 40% from three. Uh, they've been moving the ball well. I think that's what it takes to beat the zone. I like Ohio State at home. Let me see if there's any others this week that I think are worth talking about. Wisconsin at Iowa is Friday, November 30th. Uh, yeah, give me Wisconsin. That'll... I got if I've been beating that drum all episode, then I need to continue that. Gonzaga at Creighton might get a little interesting, um, but not that interesting. I think Gonzaga's just better. Uh, Kansas State at Marquette. It says Marquette is favored by one on Ken Palm. I have no strong take at the moment, except that I don't know that that road dog Kansas State. I I would have ranked Kansas State considerably higher than Marquette preseason. Um, I have no I have no strong takes there. <laughs> Sorry, gang. Purdue at Michigan. I love Michigan in that position. Uh, Penn State at Maryland. Maryland favored by four. I would pick Penn State to cover it at minimum. Uh, Nevada at USC. USC's got talent, but man, they're another one of these. Like I believed in Andy Enfield so hard. When he got that job, I, I, I could have sworn he's going to turn it around. And he's had some adversity, like not getting Melton last year, stuff like that. But, like, at a certain point, you got to turn it around. And I forget who made this point on Twitter, but, like, the Martin Twins are, like, 23. They are adults playing basketball against children, uh, which makes it really, really hard to beat them. So I would take Nevada there. Uh, I don't see anything else in the coming week that really lights my world. Loyola Marymount at UCLA. Oh, stop the presses. Highly ranked Loyola Marymount versus terrible UCLA. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I got no other hot takes. That's uh, going to do it for this. Plus, I got to get back to work. Um, thank you to anybody who's actually still listening to this. Uh, thank you to anybody who stayed subscribed to us. Uh, KBAD is at KBADDS. Please tweet at him. Tell him you miss him on the show, that you can't wait to get him back. Uh, I'm Russell H. Film uh, on Instagram. Russell H. Film also. Uh, my website is thebeertravelguide.com. If you like beer... That's a place to go and uh, get a lot of information about some of the best craft breweries around the country. Uh, so please go and check that out. That's also on Instagram, at the Beer Travel Guide, and on Twitter, at Beer Travel BTG. Uh, so give that a look as well. Uh, that is going to do it. That's a lot of talking. I didn't even get to finish my beer. I'm doing it right now. Nope. Can't do it right now. Still cold. So, <laughs> for uh, 4KB, uh, I am Russell Hainline, and this has been 2.1 Seconds to Madness. You know Good night. Keep it live.